Adrian Mateka is the author of three poetry collections, The Devil's Garden, Mixology, which was a winner of the 2008 National Poetry Series, and The Big Smoke, forthcoming from Penguin in 2013. He is the recipient of two Illinois Arts Council Literary Awards and fellowships from Cave Canem and the Lannan Foundation. He is a visiting writer at Indiana University Bloomington and co-directs the River Sticks Reading Series. Welcome to The Poet's Weave. I'm Romaine Rubinus Dorsey. On today's show, Adrian Mateka reads from his new collection, The Big Smoke, which examines the history and mythology of the first African-American heavyweight world champion, Jack Johnson. Johnson was a true American creation, and Mateka's collection follows the prizefighter's journey from child of emancipated slaves to the most coveted title in sports through the multi-layered voices of Johnson and the women he loved. Mateka's book is part historic reclamation and part interrogation of Jack Johnson's complicated legacy, one that often misremembers the magnetic man behind the myth. Hurt Business Willie Morris was much larger than me and struck me in the jaw for no apparent reason. Grandmother Gilmore saw the whole thing and said, Arthur, if you do not whip Willie, I shall whip you. It's always better to whip than to be whipped, so I took the fight straight to the bigger boy. Not long after, fighting became a way to make money on the Galveston docks, the fresh smell of fish and stevedores sweating out lunchtime booze. Thirteen, and I was already strong enough to toss a bale of cotton out of the way like it was a bad idea, and I could jump five feet backward from flat feet. My fists weren't good then, and those men gave me the kind of beatings that made me want to go back to the schoolhouse. They laughed while they put it on me, and the gulls circled us, thinking there must be fish in the middle of such a fracas. Those lunchtime brawls taught me to mix it up outside the gentleman's rules. Quick punches to the manhood, stomp toes when cornered, eye gouges to get out of a headlock. Of course, I always abided by the rules inside of the ring. Those dock fights were more about survival than winning. Sporting Life People always talking about if and suppose, like those words are worth more than money, like they're worth more than the crease a silk stocking makes on a woman's thigh, more than the grumble of a Thomas Flyer engine. So I take the side of my pleasures. Two small words, if and suppose, and nobody can explain them. We get in this world what we're going to get. After all, one man can roll out of bed and be killed while another man falls from a scaffold and lives. A man can get a bullet in the brain and keep his life while some other poor sap dies from a shot in the leg. It's all luck and perspective. Pleasure is both to me. Gold Smile Teeth hadst thou in thy head when thou was born to signify thou camest to bite the world. William Shakespeare They called teeth dent in France, and the name makes sense the way teeth do what they do to bacons and shoulders and cakes. The French word for gold is ore, so when the folks in Paris describe my smile, it sounds like what would happen if I punched a door. Dense door. Dense door, the French children say when I open wide. Dense door, Etta says when she locks herself in the powder room. Tommy Burns said dense door when I was hooking him into asking for forgiveness. His people back in Canada would have said the exact same thing if they were in Sydney to witness our spectacle. Before we got in the ring, I told Tommy the only reason I got these gold uppers was to make every bite of my food twice as expensive as it used to be. Rememory 
I've forgotten some prize fights and the names of men I beat more than they beat me. But how can I forget divine intervention with a scar dividing my thigh like Wabash splits Chicago? That horse back kicked so hard my leg bone broke, split my skin like a lazy plum. I laid back in that stall, bleeding and hollering in the dirty hay with that horse looking over his shoulder at me like it was my fault, and the flies and the flies humming, stuttering like telegraph type until Jim found me. I couldn't tolerate horses after that. The scar is purple now and jagged as a pants hem. Even though the bone healed all right, I rubbed the scar for luck. Most times, I forget I'm rubbing it until Etta reminds me. You've been listening to Adrian Mateka on The Poet's Weave. I'm Romaine Rubinistorsi. So you just got back from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you talk to us a little bit about what that trip was about for you? Yeah, I, I went to Chicago to, to pay my respects at Jack Johnson's grave. Um, I've been working on this project for almost eight years and I never visited his resting place, um, primarily because I wanted to make sure that I had something that was worthy of of his myth. And so uh, once I finished the book, it, uh, it became clear to me that it was time to take that trip. Uh, it was a very humbling experience to, to, to be there because it was reminded all over again that this is, you know, a person that did great things. Like I've been working at it through a poetic angle, but this is like a historical you know, and a historical human being who was like stomping around Chicago and, and his finery and, you know, and, and resisting the, the zeitgeist of his time and, you know, sort of standing there in front of this very plain um, headstone that just says Johnson, like mm-hmm. reified all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about um, the source material for these poems? You were saying that, you know, sometimes it's these are quotes, like you're just using his voice and and working from it. Yeah. You, you know, like I said, I've been working on this for a long time, and I spent about two and a half years just researching his biography and researching the time um, in which these poems are set uh, before I ever wrote anything. One of the things I wanted to try to figure out how to do was to negotiate the fact that this man has a, a his own voice. You know, we're talking about monologues, we're talking about persona poetry, but there's a voice that's out in the world that's already his. And one of the things that I realized as I was doing this research is that there are um, multiple versions of his voice in the world. There was um, there were these autobiographies that were written in French and then translated back into English. Um, and they were actually ghostwritten, so they were autobiographies that were ghostwritten, too, so I'm not sure if that still qualifies as autobiography. And then there were these uh, audio recordings of him um, speaking, and then there were these um, newspaper accounts that were almost across-the-board racist sort of renditions of, of his voice and this sort of vernacular that, I mean, it kind of sounded like buckwheat or something, um, which was not at all how he sounded. So when I started trying to negotiate a voice and trying to figure out what this book would sound like and how he would be represented in the book. I was coming from these three very disparate sources. Um, And so sometimes there are direct quotes from him in the book, um, either things that he actually said in recordings or things that were in the autobiographies, which are in a kind of a different diction. So I tried to use those sort of as anchors for some of the poems. Okay. And there are other voices 
Yes. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about them? Yeah. Um, I realized really early that writing a book of poetry in the voice of one persona would get kind of one note. You know, after a while, it'd be sort of the same same kind of thing, and you wouldn't get the whole story. You know, I'm thinking about some of the autobiographies that I really admire, like Miles Davis, his autobiography. Um, he always wins, like, and every he's always the hero. And you know, till the end, I think it becomes a little more humble. But early on, he's always the victor. And and these Jack Johnson poems kind of were working in that same way. I mean, he's such a um, magnetic and successful figure; it's really easy to write about those successes. Um, but it. Whenever there's a success, there's a failure on the part of someone else, you know, or there's uh, or a defeat on uh, in the part of someone else. And so I wanted to make sure that there was a conversation that included those things, too. Um, the best way I found to do it was to uh, try to construct voices for his wife and his girlfriends who would have been there for the um, the duration. And some of them, uh, at least his wife, Etta, gets mentioned in the poems um, that, that, that I've, I've read today um but there's there's sort of there was a need for balance and i found that in the the voices of of the women around him now there was a hubris involved in trying to write in the voice of a a, a woman from 1909 a a caucasian woman from 1909 who would be willing to marry an african-american man um and so i was very uh, nervous and tentative about writing this. I relied on my wife, and she'd sort of continue to send me back to my office and say, yeah, you know what, that sounds like what a guy thinks a woman sounds like and this kind of thing. So I ended up writing his uh, his wife Edda's poems all in broken sonnets. It was sort of one of the ways that I got around my own inability to comprehend what she might sound like. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Um, so do you do – you, your wife is also a poet. Do you yeah. – do you – collaborate ever or is this a you know what we don't uh, my wife Stacy Lynn Brown is a, is a is a really terrific writer I don't say that's because I'm married to her you know I, I knew that before we we got married and um, she writes a very different kind of poem than I write I mean her last book was called Cradle Song and it was a book length poem in sections and I can't begin to comprehend something of that scope you know and so we don't really uh, I mean we sort of bounce editorial ideas off of one another, but um, I don't think we really collaborate in, beyond that. Um, <laughs> of course, my, my daughter says, you know, she's, she's already figured out the way our house works. She came to me not too long ago and said, Daddy, you know, don't take this wrong, you know, but Mama's just a better poet than you. <laughs> you know, out of the mouth of six-year-olds. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah, thanks, kid. I appreciate it. You know, no McDonald's for you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So this project's coming to a close, yes? Yeah, and yeah. you've been living with it for a while. Yeah, yeah. I just sent the uh, the final version of it to my editor to start the production process. Well, so it's not really the final version, but the, the last version where I get to make big choices. Um and it was great. I mean, it was great to, to sort of send that off. But then I sort of sat there trying to figure out what to do. You know, my baby's gone off to college. What do I do now? <laughs> you know, um, luckily, there is a lot more to be done in the editorial process. And bo- the book won't be out until June of next year. So we've got a lot of work to do between now and then. All right. Yeah. All right. Are you already on to new poems? You know what? I, I've started a new project. I started a new project last summer. I try to work on two things at the same time to keep myself entertained and also keep myself working. Uh, I think it's easy to get stuck in a space when you're trying to figure out how to make one thing work 
at any given time. I mean, I sort of hijacked this idea from Yusef Komunyaka. He said that he works on three different books at any given time, and I, yeah, no, there's no way for that. But, you know, so I've been working on these two different projects back and forth, and, and I was actually working on the research for this Jack Johnson book while I was finishing up my last book, Mixology. So I've been sort of going back and forth um, for a little while now. The thing is, is maybe because I'm so stuck in the space of Jack Johnson and these like seri- intense edits that I've been doing over the last few weeks to get it ready for production that I just am not really interested in my other, <laughs> other yeah. project right now. Yeah. Um, but it's about, ostensibly about astronomy. Um, okay. But as I was going back and rereading it recently, I think it's more about socioeconomic um, in- inequity, mm-hmm. which is not where it started out as. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, see, we'll see how that goes. Got a ways... Uh, before those poems will be ready for the world, though. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adrian. No, thank it's you. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, it was great being here.